the Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm alright, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky team, Mr. Sam. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. The Tom Sumner Program is made possible with support from Seth David Radwell, a recent guest on the program and author of American Schism, How the Two Enlightenments Hold a Secret to Healing Our Nation, released in July 2021. As Publishers Weekly writes in its recent glowing review of American Schism, business executive Radwell's epic debut examines the historical influences that have led to what he sees as the collapse of politics in the United States. Seth Radwell makes the case that the current chasm between the American right and left can be traced back to the 18th century's Age of Enlightenment and the basic tenets of liberty, equality, and reason. American Schism provides a historical perspective that can help bridge current day divides. American Schism by Seth David Radwell is available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold. For more information, go to americanschismbook.com. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Is this the real life? Is this just fantasy caught in a landslide? No escape from reality. Open your eyes. Look up to the skies and see. I'm just a poor boy. I need no sympathy. Cause I'm easy come, easy go. Little high, little low. Any way the wind blows doesn't really matter to me. To me, Mama, just kill a man, put a gun against his head, pulled my trigger, now he's dead. 
nothing really matters to me. And welcome back, everyone. This is the Tom Sumner Program. My uh, guest this hour is the author of um, a new book with, I think, my favorite title ever. It is called, If God is Love, Don't Be a Jerk, Finding a Faith That Makes Us Better Humans by John Pavlovitz, and he joins me by phone. Hi, John. Welcome to the show. Hi, Tom. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. Um, now, you are what by profession? A troublemaker uh, right now, but I think in, in general, I have been a, a pastor in the local church for about 25 years, but much of that, the last five or six, has been in the sort of virtual congregation, and so online ministry, writing, and traveling. And... Now, where does this, uh, apparent, according to some press that I've read, and, and I apologize, John, I have not had a chance to get and read the book yet, but I was uh, reading some press about the book, and it says, John Pavlovitz invites you to unbox God, re-examine your faith, and love your damn neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> yes. and, and and I have to ask, I mean, for a lot of people, it would seem a little unseemly to talk about faith in that way. Yeah, that might be true, Tom. I think for, for me, my life has always been about speaking about faith um, in a way that's authentic. And the truth is, most of us are a little rough around the edges, or our belief systems aren't really as clean and tidy as we'd like them to be. And so I wanted to embrace a real frank, authentic language and way of talking about these really big ideas. You know, I had someone challenge me the other day. I, I said, God damn it. And mm. someone said, how dare you damn God? And, <laughs> and I said, that's not what I'm doing. I said, I'm, I'm asking God to damn something else. But I am using the Lord's name in vain. I'll give you that. <laughs> well, and I think the heart of the book for me, one of the one of the ideas central to the core of the book is if God is who we claim God is, if God is God-sized, then God can handle a lot more than we think, and God can out-love us and out-forgive us, and, and God is usually not taken aback by the language we might use or the things we might do. And so that there's kind of a joy in that, that you can rest in that, that you can be um, completely who you are. And, and, and I think God can take it, and we might not be able to. Uh, humorist Alan Sherman back in the 60s uh, said in, in one of his books, he said, uh, my God has a sense of humor. Otherwise, why would there be an avocado or a duckbill platypus? <laughs> exactly. Uh, and I think that embracing that, the absurdity of even the things that we think about or the, the world that we encounter, it's, it's, oh, it's beautiful to have that sense of humor because God, to be inherently God, would be the author of those things. And just like art and music and laughter is 
medicinal. It makes it makes life so full and rich. And so, as serious as the stuff in the book is, a lot of it is um, laced with um, hopefully moments of real um, joy. And and I suppose the the real question that a lot of people have, um, as people seem to be, I I don't know. Would you would you say that people are moving away from faith they have been for a long time but is there a turnaround of that or are people still moving away away from faith i think people are certainly moving away from organized religion and from the rigidity of that and from the sort of separateness that that often breeds and i think what they are embracing is is an expansive spirituality and something that that thinks differently than maybe we did when we were younger and growing up, there was no idea that you could have an expression of religion without a building on for an hour on Saturday or Sunday. And I think what people now are saying is, no, there, there's this whole thing is filled with whatever, um, the supernatural or God or the divine is. And so we just can, we don't have to resign ourselves to just a place. There's no geography, um, and so I think I'm, I'm seeing that. I've been fortunate that the people who read the, the writing are telling me that, that they're from disparate backgrounds, but they're coming together over some of the same values. And and that's important. I you know I, I'm ju- I'm just tickled by this this phrase in this press release I, I was reading that said uh, that you in, invite people to unbox God, reexamine your faith, and love your damn neighbor, and. I guess the reason that I find that so um, amusing and and um, and refreshing is because so much of what I talk about with with people on my show um, is often the the divisiveness of of civil discourse these days. Yeah. It's it's no longer enough to say I don't agree with you. It's you don't agree with me and you're a moron. Right. And and that's elemental to the book. Even someone asked me, well, John, why not, uh, if God is love, love people? And I said, I'm not even asking for that much because my, my sort of, <laughs> my, aspira- my aspirations for humanity have been, you know, you know, much more pedestrian. And so I said, it's, let's just try to not harm and we'll start there. And if we can begin there with someone's, inherent humanity and then let's go from there and so the love your damn neighbor idea is is simply to give us um to take away the excuses we have for not treating people with decency now where where did i get this phrase from i'm not sure how to apply it the church of not being horrible that yeah that comes from one of the chapters in the book and uh, in that it's a similar idea that Let's let's have a church that is. You don't have to be known for effusively loving all people. If you can't manage that, you should be able to. But if you can't, let's begin with a community that's not known for being predatory or angry or vindictive or exclusionary. And so, the church of not being horrible is saying, "Okay, let's begin with the smallest, the lowest bar that we can, and let's slowly work our way from there." More from pastor and author John Pavlovitz, straight ahead. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can. Keep wearing masks correctly and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19 and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call The X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. I know of a place where you never get harmed, a magical place with magical charms, indoors, indoors, indoors.
Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. More from pastor and author John Pavlovitz, straight ahead. Has there really been a time in human history where people did that? Just practiced not being horrible, practiced not being a jerk? It seems like human history is is full of some pretty bad behavior. Uh, absolutely, and I th- I think what what you see is there's there are always communities or individuals who are trying to wrestle with this and figure it out to you know lesser or greater success. And for me, the book is about people experiencing it individually and then maybe collectively with a group of people or their church or someone in their community. And then wrestling with these ideas and answering the question, what does this mean for me? What, what do I do differently? And how can we together collectively express something that is, is more empathetic than what we have before? And that's really what I'm hoping will happen with this book, that will move people from wherever they are. They don't have to match me theologically or politically, but to move them from where they are to a more open and expansive and loving place. You know, for a lot of people, once they define for themselves what faith means to them or what their religion means to them, it becomes part of their politics. And you just said something really interesting, John. You said, you know, something about your beliefs and your politics, and you referred to them separately. Mm. Should we parse them out that way because I see an off I in fact one of my one of my favorite observations that I make way too frequently probably John is that there are two documents in human history that have been the most abused and that's uh, the US Constitution and the Holy Bible that's right I, I wrote yesterday that uh, many of the people who misused them haven't really read either of them <laughs> you know, so, and for me, my faith is never, my faith is inextricably tied to my politics. And for, so I use those two phrases because some people identify primarily as one with one or the other. But for me, yeah, morality is expressed through the legislation that I support, through um, the movements that I'm a part of, and for the way I vote. But certainly, um, in a corporate sense, I don't want religion and politics. In, intertwined, but I do want my values to be something that I personally try to wield responsibly. There's a, a strange thing that I've observed in American politics, and, and that it goes back to the, uh, the time of um, Ronald Reagan and the so-called moral majority, and that's when, um, and I can't think of his name, this happens to me all the time, he played uh, Really pretty good guitar, but he was the head of the uh, the RNC, the Republican National Committee, at the time that uh, Ronald Reagan was elected, and he's credited with um, sort of establishing the, the concept of the moral majority. And that's where basically a lot of um, Catholics moved from the Democratic Party to the Republican Party largely over the, the uh, issue of abortion. Right. And then the abortion issue um, 
which has always been sort of tied to religion, um, it, it, it literally caused the parties to flip the script. You know, Democrats stopped being concerned about the uh, the unborn child, and Republicans stopped being concerned about individual freedom. And it's it's um, that just that puzzles me, and and I just wonder where are people of faith supposed to land when political issues become that close to home. There's actually a chapter in the book, Tom, about uh, the abortion issue, and I, I ask people to consider a really consistent, expansive pro-life ethic, and because I think the the weakness of the the conservative religious position is it seems to advocate for for life in the womb, but outside of that, there's really a large disregard for you for the poor, for the vulnerable, for the sick. And so, well, in and that those case, very I, same people push push very hard for the death penalty. Correct. We, and, I mean, they, and they, that, and that gets away from you know soup kitchens and day to day helping people. You know, right. that's just two opposite ends of of the spectrum. And and yes, and from from what I've noticed is that the abortion issue, I, I call it an easy form of activism because you can take that moral stand for life, but it doesn't really require much of you in, in, in looking at your privilege or your comfort or how you're spending your money or what you're doing, you know, with your time. And so there, you can you can feel a moral self righteousness and not really face having to love people you don't like. Um, because when when life in the womb doesn't have any attributes, it's not Muslim or black or gay, and so it's much easier to advocate for that idea of life rather than walking around people. Yeah, people are kind of messy sometimes. <laughs> I I have found that. <laughs> yes, yeah. And and again, I I, I want to say this uh, the title of this book again because I, I'm. It just tickles me to death, John. If God is love, don't be a jerk. Finding a faith that makes us better humans. Is that really at the core of your religious beliefs? Is that God's word for us is really about humanity? At the end of the day... The, the the book states, and it's something that I believe firmly in, that if your religious convictions, however you define them, don't move you to be a more compassionate human being, there's really no point to them, and they're not persuasive to anyone else. And so your theology is only valid to the degree that your life is loving. And so I get up every day trying to figure out how I can have a life that yields more kindness greater diversity, more people being heard and seen and helped. And that's really, beyond that, I'm okay with whatever the doctrine is. I want the, the apologetic of love, if you will. You said something earlier about people mo moving away from religions. And I hear people use the phrase spirituality a lot. Yes. Is there... What is the difference? I think the difference is there are 
the idea of spirituality is not restricted, it's not um, held to a, a set of doctrine or a denomination or even a religious tradition. So it sees God, which uh, I do, as transcending any tradition, that every tradition, that every religious affiliation, it's beautiful, it has things about it that are redemptive, of course, but it's ultimately not equipped to capture whatever the divine would be. So spirituality is just exploring that and saying, where do I find evidence of this in the music I listen to or in nature or in community? Can can people be spiritual without accepting God? I think absolutely. If what what I think the difference is I think is, there's a lot of people trying, John. <laughs> exactly. Well, it depends it's all in how you define that. It's the language you use, it's the you know, the label that you put on it because I think most people understand, I talk about the thin places, you know, in the religious traditions, there's this idea of the thin places where you're really close to whatever that source is, and that could be standing in the middle of a concert with a group of people singing, it could be, you know, laying with your dog in the grass, it could be making a meal with your spouse or partner. So I think a lot, we all know that there are these moments that feel larger than just what we can sense. And with our with our senses, and so I think that's what we do every day. We just don't. Some of us label it religion or God, and some of us just just are okay with the mystery or the feeling. John, to what degree was man created in God's image, or vice versa? It's difficult to tell sometimes, Tom. I in it one is. of the chapters, I talk about the lenses that we use to to see the world, right? Those lenses are made by the place where we were born, the, the church we might have grown up in, or the faith community, you know, our parents and our personalities. And we have these really individual set of lenses, and we take those to, you know, religious texts, and we craft God partially or substantially in our own image. So God is not, God is much larger, but we tend to say, I'm going to, create a God in my mind whose politics usually line up with mine, whose prejudices are the same, whose, um, you know, uh, priorities are similar. And that's always going to be the danger, is how much of me am I putting into this, um, this spirituality? I, I spoke recently with a guy who had a, uh, a near-death experience, mm -hmm. and he says that he... Um, Let's see, how, how did they put it here? Um, oh, he, he has written a book. It's the remarkable story of how I fell under a moving train, journeyed to the afterlife, and the astonishing proof I brought back with me. And his story is basically he had this, this horrific uh, near-death experience. And when he got well again he began to paint and 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 compose classical music and did a, a bunch of things that he had never done before all in attempt to share what he saw mm. 
And I was really taken by, I looked at some of the, the paintings that he had done. One of them was of Christ. And it was so traditionally, you know, Western culture, you know, the white man with dark hair and a beard. You know, it was the yeah. classic image of Christ. But yet his explanation about God was so much bigger. It didn't have any of that, any of those human features, you know, that we see in the clouds in Monty Python movies. Right. It, it was it was about just light and large and and it anyway his his feeling was that that was that was God that was where it all starts and it was interesting because at first glance I thought oh he just came back with a bunch of images that he took there with him. Mm. You, you know what I mean? And, yeah. and it turned out not to be that way at all. It, and that's when I got kind of hooked on this notion, you know, here's a guy who went to the afterlife and he comes back and he's explaining everything in very earthbound terms. And it it seemed a little weird to me at first. It Fortunately, it, it took a higher plane than that. But it... Uh, but it strikes me that very often um, when we're trying to grapple with the concept of God, we're creating God in our own image. And we, well, we, we have to to some degree because we're taking something that, as you perfectly said, is is not I, I'm I'm trying to describe the ineffable with words. That's my that's my calling, and so I'm I'm having to use imagery or relationships or touchstones that people can understand and experience to try and point them in a direction. And so we're we're just trying to do make our best efforts, but in that we're gonna we're gonna compare God. We're gonna give God a personality, or we're gonna even even I wrestle with the idea of God as He as God, as a white man with a beard, like you said, as a Sistine Chapel God. And the reality is there's there's a lot of dangers in that, right? There's a lot of toxicity that can come from that. And so if we can get beyond the, the personhood of a deity, then we can really embrace the ideas of, of what that, what the character of God could possibly be. But what does that do to our our traditional notions, at least in Christianity, about the Holy Trinity. Yeah, it really it really challenges that idea. And you know, I write a lot. I bring a lot of examples from the Bible and say, okay, let's. There, there are a lot of reasons why this could be this image of God as Father. Um, and 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 yet we have to wrestle with the idea if if human beings are made all in the image of God, as it states very early then that God has to be both male and female. There has to be a, a, an idea that transcends gender, because if not, then how can humanity be equally made in the image of God, in the likeness of God? And the beauty of that is then you can really see God in everyone. God is not bound by gender, sexuality, race, and I think that's a really powerful idea, but it does challenge everything I grew up with and what I know many people are just comfortable in. In most Earth cultures, there is an 
a higher power. We'll, we'll call it that. Um, not always a deity, but often. I'm sorry, I lost you for one second, Tom. Okay, well, I'll go back and start again because I'm really struggling sure. to figure out exactly how to phrase this question, John. Okay, but, great. But it's, it's um, my point is, all of the cultures on Earth have at, at the core of their religious beliefs, I'm not sure religious beliefs is the right word, but at the core of their spirituality, a higher power in yeah. many of the earth's religions there is a god a deity of some kind whether it's god or allah in in some of the eastern ones that i have no clue about mm -hmm. but the question that i'm trying to ask is as someone who has studied um and, and I don't know to what degree you've studied comparative religions, but is there a common theme through them all? I, I think the common theme would be um, what we we want to use the language for love, but even that is too it's it's not um, expansive enough to transcend cultures and languages. But I think it's. Um, I would say a deep affection for creation, for nature, and for human beings, and and a, and a desire to see that respected. And I th that's the irony of what we see. We see so much division and so much hatred and exclusion in the name of religion, when at their core, most belief systems see the the inherent worth of human beings and of the world that they live in, and that because that does have a source. You know, that's the, the heart of religion is that this, everything that's beautiful and wonderful has a, a genesis, if you will. And um, and that's that's what, if we can, I do a lot of interfaith work, and that's really, when you see that lived out in people's lives, I think that makes you realize, oh, I've been thinking so small for much of my life because my tradition told me about that God box, if you will, that, that I we had the correct version of God. A, you know, a simple concept like hospitality doesn't have yeah. its roots in one particular faith. It's a That's huge, absolutely true. And you can find that, you know, in every tradition. And my first book, called The Bigger Table, was using my lens of Christianity and looking at what I call the table ministry of Jesus, the place where he, all the places in Scripture where he shares a meal with someone. And but you see that in every corner of life that that sacred, if you will, act of gathering with someone of breaking bread, and that's a perfect example of something that is not bound by a religious tradition, but is inherently something we all feel deeply. Well, I, I this is important stuff to think about, to consider, and to fold into our lives because we can't keep beating each other up. It's not sustainable, and especially at the rate in which it's happening. And the, the book is an invitation to religious and non-religious people to just examine how they see the people around them and what, how they view community and abundance and need and uh, to try to do a little better. 
Well, again, I have to share the title of the book. If God is love, don't be a jerk. Finding a faith that makes us better humans. Or, as one press release says, uh, re-examining your faith and love your damn neighbor. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's, uh, that's all we can ask for right now. The book is by John Pavlovitz. Um, John, we're just about out of time, but I am enjoying this conversation very much as I was told I would. Um, but let me let me first thank you for spending this time with me and, and sharing your thoughts with me and the listeners and also in your book. But I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you, the book, your work, past, present, and future. Um, John, do you have a website? I do. It's uh, johnpavlovitz.com, and you can also Google stuff that needs to be said, and that blog will come up. And once you learn how to spell my name, you can find me on all social media. There's not a lot of John Pavlovitz's in the in the world, and so uh, you should be able to reach me. Yeah, I, I see your website doesn't say John Pavlovitz 23. <laughs> <laughs> that's right, that's right. John, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for spending this time with me. Any final thoughts? What's up next for you? Uh, next up, I have a, actually I have a surgery on Friday, so I'm having a benign uh, brain tumor removed, and which is all it should go really well. But it's going to be some downtime for me. So for the next you know little while, I will be just resting and reading, and um, I'm working on some writing about grief because I think grief is another thing that sort of transcends religion, and we can all meet there in the idea of loss. So I'll be doing that for the next uh, couple of months, probably. Well, John, I'm I'm glad I got a chance to talk to you before the surgery, so at the very least, I can wish you well. Thank you so much, Tom. It's been a joy to be with you. All right. Take care. That was John Pavlovitz. That's P-A-V-L-O-V-I-T-Z, in case you want to Google him and find out more about him. Um, The book is, uh, once again, If God is Love, Don't Be a Jerk finding a faith that makes us better humans. And we'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead.
Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination? A COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Armchair Politics is going to hell. Hell, Michigan, that is, and you're invited. On October 27th, Wednesday before Halloween, Armchair Politics will be broadcasting live from 9 a.m. to noon from the Hell Saloon in Hell, Michigan, near Pinckney. This will be our first in-person meeting of the Tom Sumner Program's weekly roundtable armchair politics since the beginning of the pandemic. Join me and roundtable regulars Flint's premier political pundit Paul Rosicki on the left and longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter on the right, plus more on Wednesday, October 27, 2021, starting at 9 a.m. at the Hell Saloon. Armchair politics is going to hell, and you can too. Say, objection. I object. I object to that, Your Honor. Oh, hi, Mom. What's up? Dana, what are you doing? Oh, you know, just um, Attorney General stuff. Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than $1,000 now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So listen, we just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam. Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, Report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dana, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. 
Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. There's a fellow by the name of Noah, built an ark. Everybody knows he built an ark. He said, what did Noah do? He said, well, he built an ark. But very few people know about the conversation that went on between the Lord and Noah. You see, Noah was in his rec room sawing away. He was making a few things for the home there. He's a good carpenter. Vuba, 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 vuba. Noah. Somebody call? Vuba, vuba, vuba. Noah. Who is that? It's the Lord, Noah. Right. Where are you? What do you want? I've been good. I want you to build an ark. Right. What's an ark? <laughs> Get some wood, build it 300 cubits by 80 cubits by 40 cubits. Right. What's a cubit? Let's see, a cubit. I used to know what a cubit was. Uh, Well, don't worry about that, Noah. When you get that done, go out into the world, collect all of the animals in the world by twos, male and female, and put them into the ark. (laughs) Right. Who is this really? What's going on? How come you want me to do all these weird things? I'm going to destroy the world. Right. Am I on candid camera? How are you going to do it? I'm going to make it rain for a thousand days and drown them right out. Right. Listen, do this, you'll save water. Let it rain for 40 days and 40 nights and wait for the sewers to back up. Right.
I'm just wondering, what would be the effect of an arc on the average neighbor? Now, here's a guy going to work seven o'clock in the morning, Noah's next door neighbor, and he sees the arc. Hey! Yo, up there! What do you want? What is this? It's an arc. Uh-huh. You want to get it out of my driveway? I got to get to work. Listen, what's this thing for anyway? I can't tell you. Ha, 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 ha. Well, I mean, can't you give me a little hint? You want a hint? Yes, please. How long can you tread water? Ha, 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 ha. Of course, Noah had, had a heck of a job, really. He, he had to go out and collect all of the animals in the world by twos, two mosquitoes, male or female. And, uh... He had to keep telling the rabbits, only two, only two, only two. So we find Noah pulling up the last two animals, two hippos, and he's really in a hurry to get them up because he's afraid that the Lord's going to call him and ask him to do something else, and his nerves are shot. This is one heck of a job for a man 600 years old. So we find him pulling up the last two hippos, and of course the Lord does call him there. Come on, fat hippos, hurry up. Come on, will you please? Noah. What? <laughs> what do you want? You gotta take one of those hippos out and bring in another one. What for? Because you got two males down there and you need to bring in a female. I'm not bringing nothing in. You change one of them. <laughs> Come on, you know I don't work like that. I've had enough of this stuff. I've been working all day, working on for days and days. I'm sick and tired of this stuff. Noah? Yeah? How long can you tread water? <laughs> yeah, well, I got news for you. I'm sick and tired of this whole mess. If I have the whole neighborhood's out there laughing at me, you're all having a grand time at good old Noah there. I went out and got my best friend Larry. I said, Larry, listen, I've been talking with the Lord. Larry said, oh, really? I said, yeah, yeah, listen. Lord Larry, Larry Lord, you walked up there laughing, I hear him all up there laughing at me. You know I'm the only guy in this neighborhood with an art. People around there laughing, picket signs, walking up and down. I'm sick and tired of this stuff here. People are walking around there, how you doing, Tarzan? How's everything up there? Sick and tired of this mess here. You're supposed to know all and see all. You let me go out there and bring in a pregnant elephant. You give me no manual for delivery and nothing. Never told me the thing was pregnant. There's good old Noah waiting underneath the elephant there. Boom, right on top of the You let me go out there and do all this stuff here. You never even looked in the bottom of that ark. Have you looked down there? No. Who's going to clean up that mess down there? That's me. I'll tell you that. I've had enough of this stuff. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm letting all these animals out, and then I'm going to burn down this ark, and I'm going to Florida somewhere because you haven't done nothing. I'm sick and tired of all this mess. You're pulling around, and you haven't done nothing except as you got it raining. It's not a shower, is it? Okay, Lord, me and you, right? Because I knew all the time everything was...
was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.
Hi, I'm Alexander Zanjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. Tom Sumner. 